Welcome to the Immigrations Podcast, where we capture the unique stories of Asian undocumented individuals living in the United States. My name is Ju Hong, and I'm a Korean immigrant activist. Hello, everyone. Today, I'm excited to have Sumana as our guest. Sumana is currently the executive director of the Hidden Dream and was a past fellow with the UCLA Dream Resource Center and Immigrants Rising. She has worked with the undocumented community and is currently working on bridging the gap of resources for dependent visa children and spouses who often face similar issues as undocumented students, but are not part of the national policy and resource conversations. Sumana, thank you so much for joining my podcast, and I'm so excited to have you on because I learned so much about your work through your organization, and it's an important topic of conversation we should definitely explore. Uh, but let's first begin with your immigration journey. Tell me a little bit about your immigration journey and how you got involved in the immigrant movement. No, thank you so much for having me on and allowing me to share my um, story. It's definitely a very niche one, so I'm excited to just shed more light on these different visas and how our experiences um, can be similar across different immigrant communities. So in terms of my immigration story, I moved to the U.S. when I was two. My father had come the year before on an H-1B, which is the most common um, work visa. And then me and my mom came the following year on H-4s, which is a dependent visa. And I grew up on an H-4, not really feeling like I was different. Um, My parents did a really good job of telling me like I could do anything. Immigration status wasn't really talked about in my house. It wasn't until my senior year of high school that I started noticing a lot of differences. Um, For example, when I was filling out college applications, I finished all my applications um, pretty early and I showed them to my parents for review. And they kind of redid the whole immigration section. And I was like, what is going on? And then they told me that, no, like you don't have a green card. You're not considered a resident, even though you've lived here since you were two. Um, You cannot say you need aid because not only will you not qualify because of your visa, if you put that down, um, it could negatively affect your admissions. And in the beginning, I thought it was just that, like, okay, I can handle being seen as an international student. But then slowly I realized there's more to this. Like I wouldn't get in-state tuition because of the visa. Um, Not only could I not get financial aid, I couldn't even apply to a majority of scholarships. I even lost some of them after receiving them because I didn't have a social security number. Uh, I found out after getting a job as an ice cream scooper that I couldn't take that because you had to have a work permit. It I know it sounds kind of weird to listeners, like, how did you not know this? But I mean, when you're a kid, people don't talk about financial aid and work permits and all this random stuff. My parents just wanted me to be a normal kid and just focus on school. And it wasn't until I saw a flyer for the UCLA Dream Summer program my sophomore year in college. uh, I just saw like a tagline that said, you can make $5,000 regardless of immigration status. And I was like, I desperately need something to help me pay for college. And when it said immigration status doesn't matter, I applied. And it was on the first day of the fellowship that I heard 
undocumented students talking about the struggles they faced and different creative solutions they had come up with. And I felt a huge weight lifted off my shoulders because I was like, wow, there are other kids going through similar issues. So that was kind of like my journey leading up to my first exposure to the immigrant community and then also activism in general. Wow, that's great. It's it's crazy that uh, we, we are in the full circle. I was also a beneficiary of Dream Summer in 2011, and there are about over 800 uh, Dream Summer alumni who benefited uh, from this program. And uh, I'm so glad that uh, you found the flyer and got applied and selected as a, a participant. It and was uh, you got to. life changing life-changing so I'm so grateful and I'm really happy to hear that a former fellow is now a director of the UCLA Labor Center (laughs) y'all do amazing work so thank you thank you and what year that you were selected uh 2017 and I was a fellow with the Asian Law Alliance so not only was it my first exposure to um just like community work, community organizing, I worked at a law firm. And um, it's kind of now full circle that I'm entering law school, what, like five years later. So I have a lot to credit towards Dream Summer for sure. Great. Well, congratulations. I I know you just told me about you. You're going to grad school uh, this upcoming fall and studying law. I want to just learn a little bit about your immigration status um, and uh, just about your experience in general. Um, you came here at the age of two and uh, up until around high school year where you realized a little bit more about your immigration status and you consider as an international student and you started um, having a lot of different barriers and obstacles and challenges uh, uh, obtaining higher education. And I'm curious to know when you first found out about that you consider as an international student, like how did you feel and what was your like reaction and how did you kind of start um, processing that? I actually don't think I will ever forget the day I found out about all of this. Um, my mom was driving me to school and it was, so I showed her my college applications that morning. And um, once we got in the car and we were driving to school, she was really quiet and then she like slowly starts explaining that like hey there's you're gonna have to do more work on your applications and then she said something that honestly haunted me in the moment she was like I need you to be prepared to go to college in India if it comes to that like if you don't get admitted anywhere here if we can't afford college here because of the lack of financial aid and it I I was pretty much like stone cold in the car ride I didn't know how to react it wasn't until I saw um one of my like favorite teachers in my first class that I just started bawling like I was crying and it was um the day of like our senior English assessment and I skipped that I (laughs) took turns crying in different bathroom stalls like as people were shuffling for from classes I would like switch bathrooms across campus and I was crying the whole day going to different teachers who had off periods I did not see anyone for the rest of the day and um yeah I honestly did not process it in the moment it took me a really long time I think I just 
bottled it all up and I had a lot of resentment because I was like I did I thought I did everything right I worked as hard as I could and now you're telling me that because I don't have a piece of paper that I'm not good enough I don't have access to all these opportunities and I was so mad extremely extremely mad for the longest time and that kind of translated into like my experience with panic attacks and anxiety and then I let that develop into severe depression and it wasn't until years later that I started taking mental health more seriously and understood how much of an impact immigration has had on my health. As I was looking at your work and just kind of understanding about your personal story, um, I came to realize that you've been really public and advocating um, about um, your work and changing the policy in this area. And I'm curious to know, when was the breakthrough moment you decided to come out and really take stepping into courage to share your story? Because um, oftentimes um, uh, within the immigrant community, especially coming from Asian communities, um, we often not share our stories or just kind of keep quiet and just kind of try to resolve the situation on our own. Uh, but you decided to take different route and really publicly share your story. And I'm just curious to know when was the breakthrough moment and uh, what was the decision? So the breakthrough moment for me was um, something that's unique about these visa statuses is as you approach the age of 21, you uh, risk aging out of your status uh, because once you turn 21, the government basically says you're no longer a dependent, you must have an independent status, and you get removed from all of your family petitions. So as I was approaching the age of 21, and I knew I was going to run out of status, uh, I traveled to India to switch my visas. And unfortunately, um, when I went into the embassy for the interview, all the officer asked me was one question. He was like, what's your major? And I told him, I, I told him my major. And then he like gave me like a refusal slip for my visa saying that like, we're not going to process it right now. Um, we're going to screen you further. And it was terrifying. It was like the middle of the school year. All of a sudden, I couldn't travel back home. Um, fortunately, two weeks later, they gave me my visa. I have no idea what happened in the background but when I came back I was just so like traumatized from that experience that I wrote a really long medium article about what it means to be um, a forgotten dreamer and what it means to be stuck halfway across the world and through these medium articles I started meeting more kids in my situation and I realized like holy crap I'm not alone like there are a lot of kids on these visas even after doing Dream Summer, I thought like I was the only kid on these on this dependent visa. Like I don't know anyone else who's going through this. So yeah, almost losing my status um, halfway through like college is really what triggered me to start talking about this because I just thought it was insane. Wow, I'm curious to know how many people are currently in the dependent visa children and spouses and i'm also curious to know do folks generally know they they will be aging out or they kind of find out at the age of 21 or what's your kind of um stories that you've been hearing from the community so um in terms of the number of kids affected by 
this issue of aging out and potentially losing status, it's estimated that there are 250,000 kids in the U.S. who um, will go through this issue. And the reason this occurs is because there's a really bad green card backlog in um, the employment-based visa lines. And uh, the countries that suffer the most and have the longest wait times are India, China, Mexico, and the Philippines, uh, and that's because of country caps. So every year there is a limited amount of green cards, of which only 7% can go to any given country. So when you compare like the hundreds of thousands of people applying from India versus like, I don't know, I'm just guessing like 5,000 people from Lithuania, everyone from Lithuania will get it within a year, but only 10,000 people are getting it from India. And right now, the estimated wait time um, for India is 89 years to get a green card. Wow. So like right now, if someone were to come into the U.S. with a Indian born child, it's guaranteed they're not going to get a green card with these wait times. Um, And out of the 250,000 kids who are affected by this issue, majority of them are Indian and Chinese. I believe 167,000 of them are of Asian descent. And in terms of the stories we hear with kids discovering their status, they don't find out until it's really late into their high school career or even until they get into college because parents are too scared to talk to their children about this. Even on our Slack, we have so many parents join our Slack and they refuse to add their kids because they're like, we don't want to burden them with this. Um, We don't think they're ready to face this. And while I understand the concern as a parent, at the same time, I do think it's important for the child to be aware and have some control in preparing for their own future because maybe they don't want to stay here. You know, like maybe different people have different priorities. If they find out early enough, they can prepare to apply for schools or even prepare to go elsewhere if, if they feel like that's the right move. Wow. I'm, I'm curious to know uh, uh, people who found out about their aging out and they have to just juggle with this uh, limbo status in this country. In your um, hearing from the community members, um, how are they uh, navigating you know, in the higher education to a workforce, to just a livelihood, um, what are some general um, experiences that they're going through? I think the most common thing I see, and I myself am in this funnel, is a lot of kids in our situation kind of kick the can on this issue by going to school, you're protected by your F1 visa, then you work for a bit on your OPT. And then if you don't land the lottery, you just apply to grad school and then you try to get the H-1B again, then you apply to more grad school. And that's kind of the most common way I see people trying to cope with this, just trying to go to school, trying to find some status that will, you know, like allow them to stay with their family. Because unfortunately, like when you bring up the topic of letting go of your status with family, it's usually not received well. And Mm. they're like, why would you even consider that? Like, don't do that. And then you just kind of stuck, get stuck in this, stuck in school and you're limiting what you can do with your major and all of that. And it, 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 it's just like a very like isolating feeling. 
And there are not a lot of options out there for kids in the situation. And one of the toughest things I see a lot of kids have to figure out is so many kids have great ideas and like things they want to do. You can't even start a business on these visas. You can't do freelancing. You can't do contracting. You cannot have any source of income um, if you're on these dependent visas unless it's framed as like a stipend, an award or a scholarship. Otherwise, like you have to have a work permit. So it's it's definitely a very restricting um, status to be in. Wow, that's interesting. I think that there's some <clears throat> similarities and difference uh, people who have DACA. And as you may know, uh, this year is the 10th uh, your anniversary of DACA and uh, in the past 10 years uh, through the DACA program, about uh, over 800 um, immigrant youth have been protected from deportation and a lot of this uh, beneficiary uh, really had great opportunities to attend higher education and job opportunities and protection from deportations. And now this this DACA is currently in the litigation and right. is very uncertain whether the DACA program will continue or not. Mm-hmm. DACA program is now it's a, such a national uh, conversation and almost I feel like everyone knows about DACA program. Right. Yeah. Um, I think it's a great in a way that I think the public is now aware of what DACA is, but at the same time, I think it's really dominated in this conversation and oftentimes live conversation around people who do not have DACA. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm curious to know uh, what is your reaction to the this narrative around just dominated in around DACA in the national media and how can the immigrants movement can be more inclusive and uh, advance in more like a larger immigration reform that is impacting everyone. I think the weirdest thing, I don't, I don't know if you have noticed this, but I personally feel like I've been noticing this more and more, maybe since the start of the Trump administration. But whenever I tell people I'm an immigrant that has been here since a very young age, they automatically assume I'm undocumented. And then, mm. all, then the next conclusion they'll jump to is, oh, so like, why can't you just get DACA? And then I have to be like, wait, no, like, let's take a couple of steps back. Even though I've been here from a very young age, um, and I consider myself an immigrant, I came here on a visa. And because I was on a visa in 2012, I don't qualify for DACA. Um, so it when it comes to like immigrants rights movements, I think we really need to make the term immigrant itself more inclusive. Like for example, United We Dream, right? Like they're they're called United We Dream. Yet I I don't see any sort of like um, talking points or effort to try and bring more immigrants from different communities into the conversation. Um, and a lot of their work is very like undocumented folk centric, which is great, but we got to bring everyone to the table and like there's more power. Also, when we don't, when we aren't inclusive in these conversations about who qualifies for DACA or any other policies, it just allows politicians to pit like one group against another group. And 
that's why I feel like there is a lot of animosity between undocumented students and then dependent visa holders because one group is like, okay, you have this privilege. And then our side is like, well, you have DACA. And then it's just this like back and forth. But instead, if we actually like held hands and combined our efforts, I actually think we could get a lot more done and push for a proper, clean pathway to citizenship. And DACA is not perfect. And who knows what will happen in the courts, right? It's time to get something done um, through Congress. No, I think it's a great um, suggestion. And I'm also curious to know um, if you have like a magic wand, what is like immediate policy change that you would create and implement to help uh, the uh, dependent um, visa children and spouses and the larger immigrant community? I think my magic wand would be a, basically my magic wand would be like an evolving registry rule. Like if you enter the country and you are here, for X amount of time, then you on your own accord should be able to apply for a green card, etc. Like right now, the process to apply for a green card is so complex for any sort of immigrant. It's ridiculous. Like the system itself doesn't work. USCIS can't even navigate the system themselves. You know, like that's crazy. So my magic wand would be like a not like a um, static registry rule where we have to do this again in 20 years, like something where we just like write it right now. And so that way future immigrants will all also benefit from the registry rule. I think that would just be the most simple way to do it. Because if you go into conversations about merit-based or like evolving country caps or all of that, like it just becomes so complicated and it does not need to be that complicated. There are plenty of countries that have figured this out. Like, it's really not that hard. We're just making it more complex so that we can have talking points for future elections, in my opinion. Yeah, no, I agree. No, thank you for sharing that. I just want to pivot uh, real quick to uh, your organization. Uh, tell me a little bit about uh, the Hidden Dream and what motivates you to co-found the organization. So uh, right after I graduated from UCLA in 2019, um, I had known like a handful of kids who were in my situation and realized that there was no real source of information or guides or resources for kids um, who are international students or on these dependent visas. So I started a Facebook group called H for Hope because um, I was on an H-4 visa. Uh, and then I just made different PowerPoints with um, tips and tricks that I had learned how to like navigate life on these on this visa. And then about a year later, um, my dad got stuck abroad. Um, and while I was fighting to bring him back home, I got in contact with Brandon Stanton, who's the photographer for Humans of New York. And he featured my story and a little bit about my family's story on his blog. And it was through that blog that I started meeting hundreds of kids who were in the same situation. And um, I was put in a group chat with a bunch of kids. And through that group chat, five of us realized like, hey, let's just let's do something like let's establish an organization and the five of us co-founded the hidden dream and our main mission is to just build community and creative resources and solutions to help kids who are on 
these visas because a lot of times they're creative loopholes for you to thrive even though you're on these visas and that's what our resources are targeted to do and we also launched the first national 30 page survival guide that answers all of the big questions someone may have on a dependent visa Um, and we're also reaching a lot more kids through social media and tiktok because i didn't have that when i was younger i didn't have the ability to just like google h4 visa and then find other kids who are working on this stuff but now there's a lot more being done so yeah I can I can definitely walk you through the different resources that we have built over but that's kind of the TLDR on how THD came to be and um, now we do everything from scholarships and onwards no that's amazing Uh, I think that I'll definitely going to share uh, your website um, in our uh, immigrations podcast uh, but it's such a great resources, and I'm, I'm I learned a lot uh, from the work that you all are doing. So I definitely admire your work, and um, I want to support uh, your work uh, best way I can. I'm curious to know what what the community members usually ask or reach out to support. Um, if, is, are there like a common um, topics that is kind of raised up, and if so, like how do you address those challenges then? creative way to um, support this particular community? Yeah, so I think the number one request we get is for financial help for college. And since a lot of scholarships disqualify us because we don't have DACA, we don't have social security, um, we started our own scholarship fund. And we give out approximately $6,000 in scholarships every year, which is like not a huge amount, but at least it's it's something, right? And um, ever since we started the first scholarship for kids in our community, we've noticed other orgs um, also start uh, scholarships. And then we've also been reaching out to non-inclusive scholarships and having meetings with their directors to ask them to make their uh their eligibility requirements more inclusive and we've been successful there as well. The second most common thing we see in terms of resource needs is mental health. Um, Not only is it an uphill battle in the general Asian American community to access mental health resource, it's also an added battle um, in an immigrant household as a first generation immigrant. So we were really fortunate to get a pretty big partnership with BetterHelp. And um, we were able to send 50 kids to um, three months of therapy for free. And we also do support groups. And I'd say the last thing, the third most common is help with trying to find jobs. Since one of the crazy things is if we don't find a job within 60 days of graduation because of our visa status, um, we lose our status and are at risk of deportation. So we started our own referral network where allies or older kids in the community can give out referrals to younger kids so that way they can try and move through the interview process a little faster. So, um, yeah, that's just three of the things, but there's a lot of stuff on our website and we try to do a lot of workshops and just make sure information is accessible so people don't feel alone or um, lost in this world of immigration. <laughs> no, that's great. That's uh, it's, uh, it's a very incredibly work, and I, I, know, I know that you're 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 working and going to grad school soon, and 
and, and you're doing this uh, organization and uh, I'm just so uh, admired uh, by your by your work. Mm-hmm. I'm just curious to know like what, what keeps you going and what inspires you to uh, drive what you do and um, what are your um, dreams and aspirations? Um, in terms of what keeps me going, I like, I'm pretty open about my mental health struggles. Sometimes it gets really, really bad. And I'm very fortunate to have a great personal support system. But when I like kind of lose the drive with THD or immigration work, I think what keeps me going is any message that I get from someone in our Slack or on WhatsApp saying that like this resource helped. Or occasionally I'll get calls from parents being like, this is the first time I've seen something that my child can use. That makes my day, my week, and sometimes like (laughs) even my whole month, it just keeps me going. So that's kind of like my um, inspiration, just knowing that I'm at least helping a few kids not have to experience the pain I experienced um, over the past few years. In terms of my dreams and aspirations, I feel like, unfortunately, I had to choose a major in undergrad that I didn't really like because I had to figure out, like, what major would give me an H1B and, like, all this, like, different, like, games I had to play. Wow. So So you literally have to kind of framing in a way to pick the major. It's crazy. Like, I wanted to study something in liberal arts, and there was no way. There was no way that was going to work out. So I studied bioengineering, and I hated it. Hated every minute of it. So now my dream is to just, like, fall in love with learning again, and I'm finally able to do that by going to law school. I just want to enjoy school and life again and, like, not be so bogged down by immigration. So hopefully law school will be a positive experience, and I'm not going into it for, like, a crazy career. I'm going into it to just, like, like learning again. <laughs> as weird as that Yeah. Sense. no that's great that's great so what what brings you joy um obviously family my brother we adopted a dog during the pandemic and I feel like he has just absolutely changed our family he's like (laughs) he's he's kind of a menace he's very poorly behaved but the amount of love he shows us is just amazing he brings us a lot of joy my friends um my significant other like and just spending time with people who will take care of you that's that's what brings me joy no that's great that's great and i think you touch upon like a mental health aspect that thing is really important to um talk about and address this issue especially within asian communities and i'm curious to know how do you um um what is your self-care looks like and how do you address a mental health and mm-hmm. and people who often reach out to you about mental health issues um in addition to providing resources like better help uh, what other uh, ways we as a community can help and practice ourselves. Are there any um, advice or suggestion that you have uh, for the community or the listeners? I think when it comes to taking care of yourself, at least this is something I noticed when I talked to my friends who were citizens, 
I felt like, oh, they didn't really get it. And then I wouldn't really feel like I was able to get things off my chest. But through THD and talking to people in the same situation and support groups, that helped a lot. Like talking to people in your community can be so healing. And especially when you come from a community where like talking about feelings isn't really encouraged, finally having the opportunity and taking advantage of it can help a lot more than people realize. I know it can be like kind of daunting to talk about this. The first few times you talk to people, you'll probably just be crying all over the place, but it gets better over time and it really, really helps. And as someone in the community offering that support to people in a similar situation can go a really, really long way. And another thing that I always tell people who are going through mental health um, struggles is not only should you strongly consider therapy, but if it is the right decision after talking to your doctor, consider medication too. Like if you broke your leg, like you wouldn't hesitate to get a cast or take pain medication, right? But like when a piece of your mind is hurting and you're trying everything and fighting to get rid of that pain, sometimes medication can be really helpful. And I know there's a lot of stigma around it, but for me, it was life-changing. And the last thing I recommend is physical movement is so important. Like go on walks, go outside, like go to the gym. It, It can really, really help. The more time you spend indoors in your room, like it can oftentimes like build up over time that stagnancy um and hurt you so just get out there spend some time outdoors it really helps <laughs> no thanks for sharing i think one of my uh self-care practices is definitely going out and walking out my dog and just go to the gym and just let it out all my stress yeah. it's definitely helping on my end mm-hmm. adopt a dog adopt a dog That's yes <laughs> take care of <laughs> yes that's like a win-win situation for all of us mm-hmm. you know most of my listeners are undocumented and asian um, immigrant communities mm-hmm. and as we are slowly wrapping up this conversation i'm curious to know what other information or call to action that you want to bring, um, especially um, particularly the community that you're representing? What are some um, you know, call to action that we should think about and, and ways we can um, support and be more inclusive in the, in the larger fight that we're dealing with? I think my number one call to action would be share your story as an Asian immigrant, regardless of whether you're on a visa or undocumented. There's just such little coverage on our stories. For example, when I made a TikTok talking about how there are over 600,000 undocumented Desi people and people were shocked. And I got a lot of like hate messages on Telegram and like threatening phone calls because people were like, this is not true. Like you're spreading the wrong message. But that just comes from a place of ignorance. But if more people are willing to talk about this issue, I think it'll only make the movement stronger. And secondly, if you encounter someone who is in my situation on a dependent visa and they have nowhere else to go, like definitely direct them to the hidden dream and resources, but also bring them into 
your local undocumented student support groups or any clubs on campus because not a lot of universities have dream resource centers that are aware about our issue. A lot of international councils don't even know how to deal with us. The people closest to our experience who can provide emotional support and resource support are often our undocumented student peers. And since this is so common in the Asian community, I really encourage undocumented Asian um, advocates and students to just like have your ears open. If you hear about anyone in the situation, feel free to direct them to resources in our org, but also like put an arm around their shoulder. Like we don't need to be like us against them, even though we're in different immigration situations. I think the movement would be stronger if we like tackle this together. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing. And one last question for you. What advice would you give to your, to your younger self and why? It's not that serious. That's it. Like, it's not that serious. I feel like at every single decision I had to make, I would often be like, this is war like life ending if I don't make the right decision. But um like did you see the pictures recently from the telescope where they're like a billion galaxies out there and like we're just like this little speck, right? Like every yeah. time I look at that picture, I'm like, you know, it sucks that we ended up on this planet where like people care about immigration and borders and other stuff but like in the grand scheme of things this is so ridiculous right right and at the end of the day if immigration doesn't work out like the world is such a beautiful place your family will always be there to support you go travel like screw status there are a million ways to live life and like there's only so much time you can spend worrying on these like man-made borders and issues so it's it's not that serious you'll be okay <laughs> <laughs> great advice great advice no thank you thank you for sharing mm -hmm. as i close out i want to acknowledge you for your incredible work and bringing awareness to visa immigrants and sharing valuable resources and building communities and it's much needed and uh, it's important conversations to have and so i'm so grateful um for you to come on to uh, my podcast and talk about this issue and it's also really remarkable to see you're leading the organization while you're working and pursuing a grad school degree um and really excited for you um and I'm um, looking forward to hearing more about your journey. And um, I'm sure we will get to work with you in different spaces in the near future. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me and excited to see where you take the Dream Resource Center. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the show, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us wherever you get your podcasts. Also, follow me on Instagram at Immigrations. See you at the next episode.